Hi everyone, welcome to the Stay Hungry podcast. Today I've got a very special guest joined by Mike Brevik from Cyberdogs and we're going to be talking about scary brand goals to get you excited. How you doing? I'm good, how are you? Yeah, good, thank you. So what brings you to the Stay Hungry podcast? You know, I've been really digesting a lot of podcasts lately, so okay. the, the opportunity to get on here and just talk marketing, which is, you know, when you're in this world, marketing, creative design, it's just something you geek out about, and it's fun to talk to other people, yeah. to get different perspectives, all that good stuff. Nice. Okay. Makes a lot of sense. So I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. Just for our listeners, tell us a little bit about who you are and who you've worked with. Yeah, so... I've had a career that spanned over, um, I guess it'd be 20, somewhere between 20 and 25 years. I haven't done the math on it, but um, worked with a lot of different big brands. I've worked with within different gamuts of the industry, whether it be design, print. Um, I spent over a decade in retail, uh, leading e-commerce and social media teams and started CyberDogs in 2015. And have been really focused on creative and strategy and overall just you know, giving clients what they need and supplementing with all those, those miscellaneous services that help them, you know, move the ball forward. Yeah, that's cool. So I know you've worked for some really cool brands. You're being a bit humble right now, but just give us a taste of who you've worked for. Yeah, I've had the opportunity in my career to work with Nike, Under Armour, Milwaukee Tool, Harley Davidson, um, basically all the the biggest and best brands across the the sporting goods world and the tool world and um, the perspective and the, the experience and just the, you know, from a, from a brand lover myself, the, the ability to geek out on some of these brands and work with them and, and kind of see things from the inside has been just fantastic. That's awesome. That's so cool. So I guess, how, how did that come about? How did, how did you end up there? Yeah, I ended up in a, in a position in retail where I was tasked with starting and building out, you know, the, the website portion of the company, which turned to e-commerce, which turned into a lot of different things in regards to, to marketing, where we were working with and creating co-op type strategies with these brands. And, you know, before these, before these brands write you those checks or actually enter into those kinds of uh, negotiations, they always want to meet the people behind it. So I had the opportunity to, to meet with these different teams with these brands, which in most cases turned into some sort of a relationship from a co-op standpoint. But then over the course of time, I got to work with, collaborate and, you know, put kind of things in motion with them from the point of zero, which was cool because obviously I was pitching to them like, hey, this is a new concept. Here's what we want to do. And at that point, you know, I'm thinking, I God, I hope they do this. Why would they want to do this? Those kinds of things. So it really hinged a lot on how creative and how, um, you know, how we could position ourselves with these mega brands. Well, then for them to come back and either say yes or say, you know, hey, give us a, give us the opportunity to collaborate with you on some of this stuff and maybe we can take it further was huge. So kind of through that process and over the course of, um you know, we didn't do it right away when I started. It was 
a couple of years into. So I would say over the course of five to seven years, um, we had the opportunity to work really close with them and collaborate with them. So over the course of seven years, yeah, we got to do a lot of kind of out of the box thinking and a lot of um, just collaboration, which was cool because you never really, you know, you think of these brands as unreachable to some degree, you know, so when you're in your career and you get even a, even a sniff of an opportunity to work with these guys, you start to geek out a little bit. It's like, it's like meeting your favorite actor or athlete or, you know, band for the first time. And then all of a sudden you're working with them and you start to realize that they're more human than you realize to have a lot of the same problems as the smaller brands. They can relate to you on many different levels, even though you think they're, they're so massive. You think that they don't really have those problems. And after you kind of come to terms with the fact that they put their pants on one leg at a time, you can really start to kind of understand, learn from them and and do some good work. So, yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I've been fortunate to work on some brands like the ones you mentioned. I I worked for one of Milwaukee's competitors, Beta Tools, actually. Um, And uh, very much the same. The first meeting I had with them, uh, I went I went into the boardroom. They obviously got a magnificent boardroom. And in the middle of the table was a signed Michael Schumacher Formula One helmet. And <laughs> I felt so out of my depth. And then in the next breath, it was like, oh, my car broke down on the way to work from one of the directors. And straight away, you're like, oh, okay, this is going to be fine. You're a tool company and your car doesn't work. So this is going to be good. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of... You know, I could probably recall a lot of funny little stories that kind of grounded me or, or grounded them to my level at some degree, because that was a process for me because I'm a huge Nike Air Jordan basketball guy, whatever. So like just using them as the example. But um, when I first you know got connected and met with Nike, that was a lot. It was a hurdle for me to overcome because I was totally geeking out on the inside. Yeah. And I mean, I was like a 10 year old kid and a few things happened in that process that really kind of made it uh, more palatable and digestible for me mentally and mm-hmm. got me on their page. And one was, you know, they called me up one day and I'd been working with them for probably a couple of years at this time. And I had been building a relationship with the rep and the person that I was working with. And I felt like things were going well, but they had called me up one day and said, you know, Hey, we're having this kind of brainstorm retreat. Um, at the Nike campus in Portland, it's coming up on in June or wherever it was. And they're like, we'd really like to have you out there. And I'm like, well, let me see what I can do. I got to talk to my boss, see if it's in the budget. And I'm already starting to go through this process of it's probably not realistic because they're Nike and I'm me. Yeah. And they're like, no, Mike, we'll pay for it. We got your hotel. We got your food. Yeah, like We want you out here. We're going to pay for the whole thing. And it just blew my mind because I was like, wow, I can't believe you guys want me out there. And second of all, like now that you've gone to that length to almost make it impossible for me to say no, now it's like, oh man, am I out of my depth here? What am I doing? What does that look like? And it really just reminded me that even though they're a mega brand, they are so open to fresh ideas, unique perspective, like they're, they're seeking it, but we, we think we don't live up. We, we think we can't live up to that measure. Right. So we, we get a little intimidated and long story short, um, I was able to go out there and 
they treated me like part of the team. We collaborated on a very peer to peer level and it was super cool. An experience of a lifetime walking through all the buildings on the Nike campus and kind of getting somewhat of a, or at least in my mind, a VIP treatment. I don't know if it yeah. truly wasn't in their measure, but in my mind, a VIP treatment, it was just super cool because it's, it's something that when I started my career, I never thought I would get that opportunity. And Nike, I mean, they're huge, don't get me wrong, but they really kind of work at that same thinking, collaboration, innovation level as everybody else. Yeah, it's really nice when um, larger brands do that, where they, they look at it from ground level and, and yeah. you can you can really talk to them on a human level and something I wanted to talk to you about in terms of brand because brand is all about relationships and if uh, and Nike are really good at it or Nike are, are really good at it they um, they understand the pulse of what people are feeling before people realize they're feeling it which is then I guess makes sense why they were so nice to you yeah well in I say this not that I knew what I was doing at the time, because it, it isn't until later on I kind of figured out, oh, that's why that worked kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. But in the company that I was working with, we were a retail company. And, and in retail, margin, sales, you know, the cost of wholesale, like all of the numbers matter more than anything else. I'm not saying relationships didn't exist, but we really focused on the numbers. So a lot of times the relationships with certain brands or vendors were kind of contingent on how well the negotiations went, whether sure. or not we got what we wanted, whether or not we got the margin that we wanted, those kinds of things. And for me, because I was a smaller segment of the company at the time, I didn't have any real reference or like, I didn't really care regardless of margin numbers, whatever. I just wanted to move the ball forward creatively and figure out how, you know, a certain brand, whether it was Nike, Under Armour or whatever, I just wanted to figure out how to move the ball forward. I didn't really care about the big picture because I was just trying to work my angle and try to do my thing. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I was really focused on the relationship side. Like I didn't, you know, I didn't hold any grudges towards certain margins or numbers, or if we didn't get what we wanted to do, I always came at it from a very problem solving perspective that if you tell me no on this, well, what can we do? And a lot of times the brands themselves would be like, well, we can do this Would that work. And maybe, and if I, I could throw my spin on it and help them, you know, manipulate it to my favor a little bit more and we'd walk out of there happy. But I just remember building a lot of solid relationships with some of these bigger brands where a lot of the, you know, the, the buyers and the people that were really focused on the numbers, I had a better relationship with the brands than they did. Yeah. And it, I think it was because my perspective was different. Like I didn't know it at the time. I don't know what I thought. I thought maybe they just liked me more or whatever, but looking at, looking back at it now, I really believe it was because I came at them with a, like a 10 year old wide eyed approach. And it was all about just coming to a solution. And they, responded really well to that yeah I, th- I guess the bigger brands can see the value in that where when you yeah. talk to when you're talking to a smaller brand sometimes it's very much about the, the immediate impact so yeah. so with a big brand they can afford 
to to work on the relationship with the audience more than a smaller brand and actually you think it would be the other way around you can have more fun with a small brand but sometimes yeah. the small brand you launch the website and the following day why aren't we top of google yet and it's kind of yep the smaller brands have you know in their in their minds they have more to lose yeah so i think they're a little bit more reluctant to gamble and you know to kind of translate from big to small that's kind of the challenge you know that i deal with with the smaller brands that i work with too is that i have to help them think within their space stay within their lane and kind of think realistically but at the same time encourage them to think big i don't yeah. you know I, I don't want them to think small even though they are in relativity small i want them to think like they're nike yeah so speaking of results what's what's your favorite ever result from a project you know, I would say, not to beat a dead horse, but I would I would say the relationship, being able to build a relationship with a brand like Nike, because it completely changed my perspective on big brands and how they approach things. And it was a mountain that actually um, couldn't be climbed. So when I first started chasing Nike, um, I wanted them on our website and I really wanted to chase them down from a co-op perspective because I love them as a fan, yeah. but I also, I also knew that bringing them online with our company would, would instantly legitimize what we're doing. It would instantly give us the street cred of who we were competing against. So for me, getting that relationship built and working it to the point where, I mean, I still remember the day they called me up and they said, Hey, Mike, They've they'd already rejected me like five times, but I always would send these annual, um, you know, hey, we'd like to sell you online type approval type letters, you know, please grant us the access. Here's what we'd want to do. And at the time, Nike was really tight about who would they who they would allow to sell online and who they wouldn't. A lot of it was because they were trying to control who their partners were, but a lot of it too was also allocated. So they were already pre-committed to the foot lockers and the, you know, the East Bays and the finish lines and stuff. And because they had already built out those relationships, part of their terms were that they do not allow other people to do it. So there were a lot of factors that went into the rejection of being able to sell them online, but I was persistent in it. I did it every year and my higher ups, even my direct boss was like, give it up like move on, find somebody else. And it was just something I never let go of because I could sense I was getting closer. I could sense the relationship getting stronger. And I'm like, I, I feel like this could be the year. And sure enough, um, I suppose it took about five, six years. Why? But sure enough, they called me up one day and they said, you know, hey, we've given this a lot of thought. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to allow you to sell nike online we're going to allow you to brand it a certain way and we'll allow you to sell these categories you know is that agreeable to you and i'm like absolutely like i'll work with whatever within whatever boundaries you want but we got them online and then the next step from that was getting jordan online which took another two years but i but I did the same thing with Jordan. I just kept chasing it, chasing it, chasing it until they said yes. And I, I firmly believe it's the relationship and persistence that got us there. But it's, it's one of those things where it was bigger than 
I realistically probably should have been thinking. And even the people in my company were telling me to give up and I didn't. And, and it turned out to be a plus positive for yeah. me professionally, but they're still, they're still selling those brands online and have been benefiting from what I did, you know, for years now. So what was the impact on the company? You know, it, it you know, I, I can't tell you ex the exact numbers, but the impact did two things. The impact changed the perception and the, you know, kind of the street cred of the website and, and, and it definitely helped us grow into the tune, you know, of seven figures at that time. But it also opened up a lot of negotiations for the buying team. So we had a whole, I can't remember how many people, but there must have been 20 to 25 buyers in the office at that time that worked with different brands and different categories and bought the product for the stores. Once we opened the doors to the website, now they had a different leverage point for their for their negotiations to say, well, what if we did this in so many stores and this online? Or what if we did this as an online exclusive and this in stores? And all of a sudden, the stores and the website were kind of leveraging each other now, yeah. which I don't know how you'd quantify that. But but it, it, it made a huge change in the way that they did business and how they negotiated from that point on with those brands. Why? So obviously, we're, we're talking about big, scary goals. What was it that kept you going? Why didn't you stop when people told you to stop? I'm a, you know, and there's probably like a second or third grade teacher out there that could tell you stories, but I don't take no for an answer on stuff like that. I, I like the challenge. I like being told I can't do things. Mm -hmm. Like it, it almost feels good to me when somebody says, well, that's not possible. And I'm like, yeah, because now, now I've got that motivation to go yeah. do it or chase it or or figure out a way to get it done. And I think that was the big piece. And like I said, I could sense in the process that I was getting closer and that, you know, the doors were somewhat opening. Maybe they would ask me a couple questions, maybe whatever it was, I was starting to take mental notes and know that, Hey, I'm moving the ball forward, whether anybody realizes it or not. Um, I remember sitting next to, so when I was out at Nike, they took us on this bus and they took us different places and it was a kind of a group thing. The Nike gal who invited us out there, she's like, Hey, sit with me. I want to talk to you about some stuff on the, on the bus ride back to the hotel and whatever. And I remember a, she asked to sit by me, which, you know, I'm going to take that as a compliment <laughs> and B we spent that 40, 45 minutes talking about strategies and where are you at with this and what's your vision on this and and just the way she was i mean we we were just straight up conversing and having a pretty normal conversation but i could also tell by some of her questions that she also was trying to build up confidence and sure can we really do this you know is this the guy that can get this done is you know the brand that he's working for committed you know they were they were fishing for questions or answers too and that was part of that dynamic. So between me just being, you know, tenacious and wanting to just prove people wrong and sticking to my gun, sticking to the process and kind of collecting my data over time, I just knew it wasn't worth giving up on, at least not yet. Yeah. And I guess that's a, an entrepreneurial spirit that not many people have it, it, because 
almost if, if you're trying to achieve something in business pretty much everybody has given up on you by the time you achieve it <laughs> it's just a kind of goes with the territory it's it's a lonely pro i mean just being an entrepreneur and starting your business is a lonely process and i don't know if i've told this this story on any podcast but i know i've told it to other people personally but when i was in retail i i was part of a from scratch implementation so like I was hired to build something from scratch. So even though I was collecting a paycheck every two weeks, there were certain elements of that journey where I was an entrepreneur and I was starting something from nothing. I had a very limited budget. I had a very small team and I was, you know, as an entrepreneur, you have to, you have to fill your own cup from time to time. Yeah. There's not necessarily a team of people around you to cheer you on and pick you up. So you have to be able to, you know, blow your own smoke up your own butt from time to time to keep you motivated and to keep you rolling forward. And I remember even during that, that journey with, you know, that, that company I was working for and Nike, whatever it was, where I just had to be my own cheerleader from time to time because nobody else was doing it. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So, you know, the hell of entrepreneurship before starting your own business and you still decided to start cyber dogs so how did that happen you know i had i had spent like i said i'd, I'd been in the industry um i would work for a small ad agency i'd been in printing i'd been in i've been doing a lot of creative work over the years i've been working in uh, retail like i'd done a lot of different things that kind of led me to a point in my career where i was very successful but at the same time I didn't enjoy going to work anymore. Mm -hmm. um, I liked the people I worked with, but the process, like I just felt untapped. Like I felt like, you know, the way my position had kind of fallen together, I was not giving 110% anymore because I wasn't partially because I wasn't as into it as I should have been, but also they weren't using me in that capacity. They were using me for other things. So I was leading a lot of people. I was, go and do a lot of meetings. And I just wasn't in the sweet spot of where I believe my talents were. And I started to hit that crossroad of, you know, most people would kill for this career. Do I really want to quit this? Like it was, it was a very weird time because I'd kind of gotten everything and worked for everything. I'd gotten everything I wanted. And I just, is this really the point in where like, am I having a midlife crisis? What's ha What's happening? And I started to think about what got me into it in the first place. And how did I get here? You know, and I thought back to what got me there was art. You know, when I was a kid, I would draw, paint, cartoon, illustrate. And I started to think about all the things that got me to the point of going to school to be an illustrator, to the point of wanting to be a creative or a graphic artist, to the point of, and I was so far away from what got me there or what got me started it just kind of sunk into me. Like I got to get back to that. Like at least by a greater percentage, if I can't shed everything, I at least have to reinvent myself so that that's the majority of my day so that I can get excited again and start to enjoy coming to work. And um, I tried to kind of manipulate my position at the time to be more creative. Maybe it was to work with more artists or, work with more outside agencies or whatever it was. And it, it just, it just didn't quite work out. And I kind of knew that 
either I need to suck it up and ride this train for the rest of my career and just forget about being fulfilled or whatever, <laughs> whatever you want to say, or I need to just pull the plug and, and do this. Cause I just knew that I'd found the answer in that creative thing, because like I said, that's what got me into this business in the first place. And that's truly what I loved about what I was doing. Even, even at that point, working with Nike or Under Armour or Browning or whoever the brand was being creative and coming up with ideas and thinking outside the box was those were the days I went home loving my job, but those days were few and far between, you know, the other, the other time was filled with your basic middle management, leading people kind of stuff. And once I, once I came to that realization, I, I did make one pit stop after, um, before starting cyber dogs at another company. But once I made that realization, I hired a business coach and on my first meeting, I sat down with him and I said, you know, first of all, he's like, why do you need, why do you want a business coach? What's, what are you doing here? And I sat down and I said, well, let me tell you about the last 10 years of my life. And let me tell you about the crossroads I'm at, because that's why I'm hiring a business coach. I don't know what to do. And I told him the whole journey, all the ins and outs. And he basically said one question. His question was, are you employable? And I said, well, I don't know what you mean. And he's like, well, if you lost your job today, could you go out and get another job? And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, I think I could do that. And he's like, well, then why wouldn't you try this? So the next day I put my notice in and two weeks later I woke up and I say this unemployed or self-employed, however you want to look at it. But I woke up two weeks later, um, just not really knowing what I would like. I didn't know what this thing was going to look like. I just knew that I was basically going to start over and I was going to start to only do the stuff I wanted to do. Is that true? Are you only doing the stuff you want to do? For the most part, um, I will say I make mistakes. Sometimes sure. I think I want to do something, and then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, I didn't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. But but for the most part, I mean, yeah, we're picking and choosing a lot of our projects, a lot of our clients, and we're in control of more than probably we ever have been. But as, as you know, as an entrepreneur, it's a journey, and you and you can read books and try to avoid the potholes in the road, but some of them are unavoidable. You got to learn the hard way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've been lucky that, you know, I've had a lot of wins too, but yeah, there's a few that I thought I wanted a certain direction or a certain path to work out a certain way. And by the time it, by the time it played itself out, I'm like, yeah, that was a huge mistake. I do not want to do that again. There's um, there's a lot of joy in the journey though, where you don't, you don't get that when you're employed. It, yeah, the failures can be fun. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. Even the mistakes, because you kind of go into you go into them willingly, and you kind of are part of the mistake. You're kind of like it's a great learning process, and it's more digestible than being made to do something that you didn't want to do or you didn't feel was like right. And and I all say like even when I work with other companies. I get the idea of hierarchy and sometimes you just got to do your job. And I get that. But I think where, where it didn't work for me or where it fell a little short is like I said, I didn't feel like they were using the best of me. They were just using whatever percentage kind of mm. checked the boxes for them. And, and to this day, I'm like, I think you'd have had a better employee in, in Mike 
if you would have done these other three things differently or whatever, but because we kind of squelched that part of my, my talents or my abilities or whatever you want to say, I think it, I think they got a lesser than um, end result for me, but I also think that it made me think differently about whether or not I really want to be here. Sure. So when you're bringing clients on board now, how important is goal setting in that process? It, it's very important, but it's also um, the, the step before that is really the discovery process of trying to figure out where their expectations are, where they're, you know, how realistic are they? Um, so many clients come packing goals and they come packing expectations, but a lot of times they're either not achievable or they're not achievable yet. Yeah. Or maybe, or maybe they're just a little out of line as to, well, why, why do you want to do that? Well, because I follow this brand and they do this and it's a little bit of a process of unwrapping all that and saying, okay, I totally get these, these pieces. I think this fits, but not yet. This doesn't line up for me at all because it doesn't match who you are, or what you told me that your brand is. So there's a little bit of a, a calibration process that happens as you onboard the client, start to get to know them and, and start to identify, you know, kind of where this is all going because I always look at those relationships as very long-term. So I'm probably asking for a, a lot. I'm probably asking them way too many questions where a lot of times, you know, when I've worked with other agencies and stuff, they're more project-based where they don't ask 20 questions. They ask about five because they just want to knock the project out and on to the next thing where I'm asking the 20 questions because I'm trying to figure out a five-year plan. I'm trying to think about where they're at currently versus where they think they want to be. And a lot of times, you know, once you talk through them with, you know, talk them through that process, they'll almost get there before you will, because they start to see what you're doing. Where prior to that, it just felt comfortable to have goals and expectations because somebody told them at some point in the process, they had to have that. Yeah, They didn't know if they were right. They just said, well, somebody told me I had to have goals. So here they are. And it's like, well, let's talk about those goals. So after you unpackage that and kind of work through the process, I think they get to a lot better place. But then all of a sudden through that process, now again, you're starting to build a relationship. Yeah, hugely. So a lot of our clients approach us with goals or KPIs. And it's essentially they've sat in a room with and usually not a very good business coach who's who said, yeah, you need some goals, you need some KPIs, you can't tender to a marketing company without them. And then yeah. they come in and they say, oh, we want to grow by 25% year on year for the next two years. And I always turn around and say, why? And it's the, it's the question they're not ready for. And every time, why? Well, because it would be good to grow the business. And then again, why? And and then the relationship opens up because you find out that they want to pay for their kids to go to school or you find out that they want to grow their management within the company by four different people and that's that, that's the only way that they're going to have a saleable asset and all these things. And I always find that fascinating that the goals a client approaches you with versus the goals that are the reality of the situation are so different. Yeah. And a lot of times those goals, 
they can kick in down the road or when you, you know, have checked a few boxes in your journey and all of a sudden, okay, now this goal is more relevant Mm -hmm. than it was when we first met, but you got to help them understand that it's progressional. And, you know, I, to your point, I, I have a love hate relationship with best practices Yeah, because best practices are built off of a subset of miscellaneous autonomous brands or companies or whatever. And they're to some degree taking an average of, so, and I think that's fine. They're a good reference point. However, when you get a client that comes packing the best practices, like here's my goals, here's my expectations and per best practices, here's what I want. And it's like, okay, best practices are great, but where are you at in the journey? Because if you're not where you should be, those best practices mean nothing. And depending on your expectations, those best practices might not even apply. Yeah. So we have to look at the whole picture, then decide where the expectations and where the measurements really matter. And if we can, I don't want to say control, but if we can make the needle wiggle on the ones that we're targeting, then we know we can either move on or raise the goal, raise the expectation, raise, like you can start to make some strategic and aggressive decisions, but without any of that talked about, built out, or even, you know, taken into consideration, it's really hard to build a plan around goals and expectations or best practices that are just handed to you. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of our sort of most fun projects was uh, an accountant that wanted wanted to grow their business significantly. And when we got talking, they uh, they said they wanted to launch their own beer. And that definitely is not in any marketing manual for accountants ever. So if we'd have, if we'd have gone down the route of best practice and I don't know, grown grown their reach by twenty percent, and then maybe done a direct mail to all the directors of the local companies within their reach. There's no way it'd have had anything like the impact that an accountant launching a beer had. And we were so glad to have a client where we could break the rules but still protect their brand. Yep. And we we do that a lot with the companies that we work with. I'm always trying to learn not only the intricacies of what it is that kind of makes them an entrepreneur or them wanting to go down that road or whatever it is, but what's that unique identifier that we can build into it? Because A, it makes the brand more authentic. B, they'll get excited about it if it's close to them. But C, now all of a sudden they're they're kind of expanding the brand in a way that's very true to who they are. So like we've had we've had clients that are, you know, hey, I'm a wealth strategist and I deal with finance, money, retirement planning, but I'm a you know, avid hunter. I like you know, shooting uh, guns and, you know, hunting and conservation and these kinds of things. So we actually built in like as part of like a side strategy for, well, let's identify the clients who support you in that. And let's do some kind of a Christmas gift or uh, something, something where we can connect those dots so that the client inherently comes closer to your brand, learns more about you. Plus, it's something very authentic that you can offer as part of you. And we look for stuff like that because that's the fun stuff. It reels in the client a little bit further, but it helps their client get to know them better. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So what's kind of, what's the wildest goal a client's approached you with? 
You know, I say the wildest is probably to, uh, I had a client come to me one time that basically is like, our goal is to get on Ellen DeGeneres. Like we want, we want to get on Ellen, Ellen DeGeneres. And, and I loved, I loved that kind of sticking that flag in the ground. I'm like, yeah, let's do that. Well, then the more I talk to them, the more I'm like, man, we're a long way from Ellen DeGeneres because they weren't doing, you know, it wasn't necessarily their fault. They just didn't have the resources, the budget. They didn't have all the different things that, probably would have been on the road to getting them to Ellen DeGeneres, which didn't change the goal. I still thought it was a cool goal, but it, but it definitely forced me to kind of back the truck up back to the beginning and say, here's like, I don't know that there's a, there's a concrete roadmap to getting to Ellen DeGeneres, but what we're doing isn't enough. I do know that much here's what I would suggest. And then I got to work through the process with them on not only some very, you know, atypical marketing type solutions, but also some very out of the box ideas. Have you ever thought of doing like a, some kind of a care package that looks like this and you could do all these cool things. And like, we're just trying to almost guerrilla marketing, trying to get the client to understand that it's going to take more than, you know, a strong Facebook presence to get you on Ellen DeGeneres. And I liked that creative freedom to just kind of play in that space with them. And it was fun because now they started to see that, yeah, that goal is huge, but I see what you're saying. I see how those things could make a difference. I see how, and like, like I explained to them, the process is you're just trying to nudge the ball forward. You don't know when Ellen DeGeneres is going to pick up that ball or, you know, we don't know if it'll even happen, but if you don't move the ball forward, it's never going to happen. So how do you, how do you explain that to a client in marketing terms that you've mentioned it a lot, move the ball forward. But often in our case, the, the pushback is, well, we want to make more money. But when you say move the ball forward, you don't necessarily mean make more money. No, the, the money, the money thing for, not that we don't have those conversations because we definitely do, but the make more money. I think we know that, you know what I mean? Like, I don't need to ask the client, Hey, do you want to make more money? I already know the answer is yes. I know that that's already part of the equation, but when I sit down and work with a brand, I'm looking at all the other things that maybe aren't being focused on. Like, hey, your brand's pretty inconsistent. Let's talk about that at some point. Let's talk about the inconsistency in your presentation from social media to your website. And and I do get pushback sometimes of, well, is that going to make me more money or is that really important? In the big scope of things, yeah, it's very important. Uh Is it going to make you more money? I don't know. But I can tell you that if you don't clean all those different things up and make it that much more aligned and that much tighter, and if you don't gain perspective on how in control you are as to every aspect of your marketing, I can tell you that it won't make you more money. Yeah. I can't tell you how much or when, but I can tell you that it won't make you more money. Sure. I think so. It's it's kind of that process that I walk them through because it all matters. It really does. That's awesome. Yeah. No, I I love that chat. The it, it's not necessarily going to put more money in your pocket right now, but you get all of this stuff lined up and the day you want to sell this business, it will be worth a lot more 
than it is if you don't get this stuff lined up. And when you say that yeah, to someone. Two, yeah, the two things that I always tell my clients, and I'm sure they get sick of hearing me say it, is you do not want to stand still and you do not want to blend in. Mm-hmm. Like if if nothing, if you remember nothing else from having talked to me, it's never blend in, never stand still, because that's that's not what you want. And I get clients sometimes that get confused because they, you know, I see my competitor doing X, Y, and Z. Let's do exactly what he does. Is that what you really want though? Like the answer should be, let's do what he's doing, but add this, or let's, let's take a version of what he's doing and do this. You want to stand out from that guy, not stand next to him, not line up with him. Hugely. So I was about to ask, what do you do when a client's goals are unambitious? So that's, that's a perfect example where, and we get, we meet loads of clients like that. They're like, well, everybody's doing this. So we want to do it. And mm, no, you don't. So the accountant that wanted to launch a beer was a great example of a client wanting to do something completely different where all the other accountants wanted to play it safe. And so what do you do when a client comes to you and, and their goals or, or their ambitions are actually quite low? At first, um, at first, it was a lot of idea generation and, and almost falling on my own sword to some degree of saying, hey, I, don't, I know you didn't ask me for this, but I was thinking about your logo. Wouldn't it be cool if we did this? And I, I very much had to kind of sell it to a point at the beginning to help them just think creatively about their own brands. And well, yeah, that maybe that would be kind of neat. And, and once they start to have fun with it, it gets easier. But where we're at today, I've done enough things now that I can just pull into a bag of references and go, you know, hey, have you ever thought of this? Because I have another customer that we did this, this, and this for. It was awesome. And that's all it takes for them to start thinking about, well, yeah, maybe I can, maybe I can do that. And I'm, it's interesting because I'm not in the business of just doing miscellaneous crazy things. Like that's, that's not what we do, but sometimes it's those things that rattle the client or the customer's cage enough to get them to open up and to think different. Yeah. Like we've, we've built, like we've done custom apparel and different things so that people could wear their brand and feel good about it. Yep. We've done, uh, we built a custom arcade for one of our clients. Go on over there. Yep. He, yeah. He was just, you know, on that day, he's telling us about his Lake place and we were kind of just shooting the breeze before we were meeting. And he's like, yeah, I got this great game room at my Lake place and I kind of want to use it, you know, to entertain clients and whatever. And I'm like, so what do you have in the room? to help you do that. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, if you're going to use this as kind of a business networking client type experience, I'm like, you got to get some swag on the wall. You got to get, you got to get a neon light. You got to get something that so when they walk in there, it's either that they, they know they've just kind of walked into this cool gamification type model of your brand or it leads them to ask you the question of what's that light all about? Or what's that about? Because now you, you, you have the door open for you to talk about your brand. And in that scenario, that's exactly what we did. We did neon light. We did a custom arcade machine and like, I don't really build custom arcade machines, but we figured out how to get one done. 
so that this guy's brand could take on one more level of life and one more outlet or tool for him. So now that we've got a bunch of those, when anybody comes to us with a unambitious goal or they're just, they just don't quite get it. We just have so many examples now we can pull from that help them kind of understand that it doesn't always have to fit in the box. Like my, my nightmare is the people that say, Hey, do you do marketing promotional type stuff? And I go, well, it depends. Well, I'm thinking about pens, <laughs> uh, chip clips, maybe a stress ball. Like that's the kind of stuff where I'm like, I mean, I can get you that stuff, but that's not what you want. Tell me more about you. Tell me about your, your passions, your interests, your hobbies, and let's find something totally unique that you're going to feel proud to hand out to somebody. A pen, you know, nothing against pens and people who buy pens, but that's not what people are going to remember. Yeah, it can be part of it, but not, yeah. not the focus point. Cool. Yep. So what games were on the arcade machine? That's an, that's an important question. It was a 60 and one and it was all retro. It was, it, he was a kind of a, a product of the eighties. And he's okay. like, I just want, I just want straight retro. So it was Frogger, uh, Galaga, Pac-Man. It was all that era type nice. stuff. That's cool. Yeah. Cause that means anybody that comes in can, has a chance. If it's, if it's too complicated, well, no one's going to play. And, and this was probably about a year ago that we did that. And since then, he's basically said, yeah, that it's such a conversation piece and it's such an icebreaker because even when he brings a client in and they're, you know, he's like, I don't have to find my opening to talk about business or whatever. It just happens. All just happens because now we have this very non-confrontational, non you know, it's just a very casual, fun experience for them. And all of a sudden he's like, yeah, we're talking about work. And it was easy. Sure. I mean, we, we swapped out half of our meeting room for a pool table. So we've got a branded pool table. So yeah. it, it was, and it was a great decision because like, it's so it's not confrontational. People feel relaxed. They can have a beer. We just talk about their business. And then same when, when we haven't got meetings and the staff are just, you know, struggling for ideas, they can just go and go on the pool table and it's a good use of their time. I don't mind. It's just a, it's a clever way to do business where, like you say, so many businesses would would give each of them a stress ball and be like, well, if if you're struggling, just squeeze this. And by the way, it's got our website on it. (laughs) Right. Right. And what I've learned or what I kind of tell these clients too, is the more you can see, your brand come to life, the more in love with it you fall too, because we all, I mean, I want to see cyber dogs on the side of a NASCAR. That'd be awesome. Like, like I want to see my brand grow. Like it's my child. I want to, I mean, I want to see my, it, is it ego? I'm, I don't know. Maybe it might be a little ego, but it, it helps me, you know, stay excited and invigorated about the brand. And I want that for my clients. So like, like you said, the pool table, the arcade machine, whatever it is. I just know, I know what that feels like because I've done enough of it with my own brand, but I know what it feels like to walk by this just inanimate object and go, damn, that's cool. Yeah. 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 Okay. I, was, I feel like you've, uh, you're reading my mind. What What are your goals? What are your biggest goals? I think that's a good one on the side of a NASCAR. That's, 
That's a big one. You know, it's always been my goal to, you know, and you, we can say that's a goal because I would take that in a heartbeat. But my goal with CyberDogs was to always create a brand that provides branding, marketing, yeah. whatever. So, like, I've worked with a lot of agencies that, not that their brand wasn't cool. They had a very cool logo and they, they to some degree, positioned it in a way that was cool. But it was like almost like an entrepreneurial starter kit. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like they just stopped. They went out and got the pens, the t-shirts, the sign for the side of their building. And they're like, yeah, we're an ad agency. And they just stopped. And I kind of did that too, but it, I never stopped. Like I just kept creating more stuff to the point where my accountant or even my business coach is like, is that really a good idea? Like, did you really need custom hockey jerseys? Yeah. Yeah, I did. I really did need them. And you wouldn't believe the conversations that those jerseys have started. And like, that's how I look at it. So sky's the limit. I just knew that when I started the the brand, I wanted it to be a brand and I wanted it to do things that didn't make sense because I can make them make sense. If you give me an opportunity to explain it, it's just, you know, you got to stick your, stick your neck out there a little bit. Yeah. No, we, we launched our own coffee for the same reason. Yeah. Why is a marketing company launching coffee? Well, our motto is stay hungry. So if you're feeling sleepy and tired and you're not on point, make yourself a cup of our really strong coffee and get at it. And yeah, and that's the story behind it. And, and, you know, there's a lot of, um, social element to it it's it's from it's sourced from the right place it's made by a guy in his shed in wales it's all kind of got a nice story behind it but the the crux of it is pretty much i wanted cobrate to have its own coffee <laughs> yeah. and again a lot of people would have stopped at the pens or stress balls they would have been like well that's you know our budget's only x amount and i think that's that's good enough you know we've we've done that yeah. at least and I'm like, well, that's not enough. Like, I, I, I've actually, I brew beer too on the side. Awesome. I've actually brewed batches of beer and then labeled it with cyber dogs and gave it to clients. And, and it's like, are you going to keep doing this? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just having fun with it. I'm having fun ways of how I can repurpose and expand the brand. And like, I, and even in my logo set, I mean, I'm a firm believer in consistency, but I have my, main logo which is the dog with the light bulb sure. but i probably have 15 subsequent logos that are for hats t-shirts beer labels like i just i'm playing at all times because i'm trying to always expand the brand and show people that consistency isn't about not doing anything creative it's about how creative you can get yeah which i guess working with a brand like nike shows you that because they really, really play with their brand, but you will always know that it's Nike. Yeah, and you're going to make mistakes. I mean, even I think Nike's even done it, but yeah, sometimes you produce something that doesn't hit and they're like, I didn't know that that was CyberDogs or that that was that brand. And that's fine as long as you learn from it and nine out of 10 times you are doing it, right? Because I get people now that have worked with me and know my brand that are like, I knew that was you, or I knew that was cyber dogs, or I knew, 
And for me, it's like, that just means I'm getting further into their subconscious and I'm getting further into their, their mind onto what to expect with cyber dogs. And that's, that's branding. That's what we want. Yeah. We, we want what you've got. As soon as somebody says that, you know, that you've got them hooked. And so Mike, you've been, you've been so generous with your time. And I think I really hope the listeners listen to the, listening to this podcast, get a feel for just what's possible. They, they don't go and sit with their marketing guy or their designer and say, I want a 2% growth year on year. They go and say, I don't know, I want a football field or <laughs> whatever yeah. it is. I want a logo on the side of a NASCAR. So question I ask all of our guests, real random, what's your favorite film and why? Well, I'm a movie nut. Yes. So I like a lot of movies. So I had to think about this and I'm like, what's the one movie that if it comes on TV, I watch it no matter what. And like, tell me if I'm wrong, even if you've got it on Blu-ray, a film is better when it's on TV than on Blu-ray. Well, yeah, it feels like a gift kind of, right? Yeah. But why is that? You'll, I don't understand, but it's true. I I, personally, I think it's because you feel like it feels, it's like a surprise, you know, it's like, I grew up in the eighties and early nineties. And I just remember having so many limited options. Like when you wanted to go rent a movie or if you wanted to, you just didn't have it on Netflix or you couldn't just stream any movie you want. So like when you've got, you know, that little bit of a journey and you go to the rental store and it's like, Oh my God, it's in the movie I want's in. And all of a sudden there's a lot of little endorphins that are kicking in during that journey that makes it fun. And that's the way I feel like now with like, if I, you know, flipping through the channels and I see Goodfellas on, which is the one I'm going to go with Goodfellas. I'm like, I'm watching it. I don't care where it's at in the movie. I don't, doesn't matter. I will watch it from any point to the end and I will love it just as much as I did the first time I saw it just because it's a nice little, you know, injection or, or surprise in the middle of the day or the middle of the night or whatever it is. Awesome. Mike. You've been such a good guest. I'm really grateful for you coming on. And uh, I want to come on your podcast now. I'm just just saying, just getting that out of there. 